Well, hey, everybody, and a very big welcome to you as you join us from around the world as we continue this series entitled Peculiar, a series that we have committed to helping all of us understand what it means to be holy, what it means to be set aside, what it means to be different to the world. Today, as much as I'm itching to talk on this subject matter, it is my great honor and pleasure to introduce you to a friend, a mentor, somebody that speaks into my life at a leadership level that helps me grow and is always ready to listen and help me gain in wisdom. Please, as we welcome to the stage a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. TJ Ammons. He is uh, going to be bringing the message on uh, peculiar thinking, how to think differently. So I know that you're going to enjoy it. Be sure to comment. Hit on the, click on the banner and the link that will give you some of uh, TJ's information, and I'm sure that you are going to be blessed today. Let's pray together, and then TJ will jump straight into the message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today's message. We thank you for TJ's words that you have given him. May we be able to learn and grow. May we be continuing to learn how to be more holy and stop stepping into our own comfort, but thinking differently, thinking like Jesus, and developing a holy way of living. Father, we love you, and we honor you, and we thank you for this message today, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Take it away, TJ. It's all yours. All right. Victory Life Church Online, how are you doing? If you're watching this broadcast right now from wherever you are, just type in where you're calling, where you're watching from. I would love to see people from all over the world tuning in right now. If you have an opportunity, make sure you hit the share button so people can get a hold of this message. You know, uh, Pastor Craig introduced me a little earlier, and I am so excited to be with you today. One thing about this peculiar series is that it's very peculiar to the world. It's very different from what we learn of growing up in school and our way of life. That Our thinking is very different. And being a counselor and being able to share the gospel with people, one thing that I come across all the time is how people think. How people think really pre-frame what they believe about themselves, what they believe about other people. And I want to ask you a question today. Are you ready for that question? The question is, have you ever thought about your thinking? I'm going to ask it again. Have you ever thought about your thinking? You know, God really cares about how we think and what we believe, what we believe about other people. And so in Scripture, we can always find so many circumstances and times where God or Jesus is asking us, how are we thinking? He's pointing back to our thought life. Just think about in Acts uh, chapter 2, verses 38, when uh, Peter stood up and he spoke, and the people heard Peter's message and said, what, will, what must we do to be saved? And Peter replied, you must be, re uh, Peter then said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that's really important is that when we think about repentance, if we look at the uh, Greek word, it talks about changing our mind, uh, attitude change, a total uh, 180 change as far as how we think and what we think about. I think of uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 2, it says, uh, how we have to change our thinking. We must be, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable, the perfect will of God. I also think about when, uh, in Matthew, when Jesus is speaking to the people, and he always talks in parables, and this one time he speaks pretty plain. He said, now you've heard in old, in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 27, he says, now you've heard, it was said that of those of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman 
to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. So one thing that we find out from the scriptures early is that Jesus is really concerned about our thinking. You know, if I was in your living room right now, you're, you're possibly tuning in through your via phone or your computer. Imagine if I was sitting in your living room right now, and if you've ever played a game like Monopoly or the game of life or any game where you have dice involved, where you shake the dice and you throw them down, you're always concerned about what number's up. So if I sat in your living room right now and I had a die, a, a set of dice, a single die, and I held it in my hand, I sat in the middle of your living room and there was a group of people all around, and I asked everybody, what is the number that you see on the die? And based upon your position in a room, you'd be able to, to tell me what the number is that you see. So you may say three, you may say four, you may say five. And even though we're all looking at the same die, we have a different perspective of what that number is based upon how we're positioned in that room, where we're sitting at and how we're positioned. And so I gave you that example to help you to understand that everybody has their own perspective. We all have our own way of thinking. And in that, we have to understand that even though we're looking at the same thing, we all view it differently. Maybe if you asked your wife, if you're a man, and you said, hey, who does the most work in the house? You probably would have two different answers. Or who's the busiest? You'd have two different answers. On any subject, there's many different opinions. And so you do have to understand that we already have a certain and a set way of thinking. And I want to tell you a story that really illustrates how we have different thinking because we are called to be set apart, that we're holy, that we're Christ's people, we're a royal priesthood, and that calls us to think differently, to be set apart. And let me tell you this story. There was a city that was built on the edge of the wood. The city was built with very few defenses, no watchtowers, no standing army, no watchmen. And in the city... The people were complacent. They weren't worried about war. They felt that everything was okay. And one day, at the edge of the forest, they were surrounded by the enemy. And the enemy shot arrows over the walls, killing men, women, and children. Soon they set fire to the city, and then they cut off the food supply, so the people in the city were starving. The people in the city looked around. They saw their homes burnt, their businesses burnt, loved ones dead laying in the streets smoke filling the air. And they knew that if nothing was done, they all would die soon, as soon as the enemy perp, uh, came through the city gates. So many of the people were worried. They were crying, screaming. You could hear the screams and the shrieks for miles. But one man stood up and he said, if you want to do something, if you want to do something, Meet me at the city gates at dawn. So some men hearing that call were too afraid. They were very fearful, saying there's nothing else that we can do. They thought in their minds that this was over, that, that they would die, that the best thing that they could do would be to beg for their lives when the enemy came through the gates. But at dawn, something cool happened. The men in the city, some of the men met the speaker at dawn, and the guy stood up, and as everybody was facing the city gates, he said, look, we have a ferocious enemy outside these gates, but I want you to turn around one second because once we open these city gates in the morning, we're going to fight the enemy. We're going to run out and meet the enemy. But just for a second, just turn around and tell me what you see. And the men turned and they looked into the city. They looked up and they saw smoke filling the air. They saw men and women weeping, hiding, fearing for their lives. They realized at the moment if 
the enemy came through the gates that their women would be assaulted and their children would be taken as slaves, and most of the men would die that day. And as the men looked, they picked up dirt from the ground, and the dirt was already singed. They realized that people were starving. They smelt and saw death everywhere they turned. And the speaker said, the man that got up and he said, look, there's no option for failure. There's no plan B. There's no negotiation. And while the man was speaking, the enemy outside the gates, they were rejoicing. They were happy because they knew that the people were starving, that they were weak, they were hungry, and they were mentally defeated. And that they knew when morning came, they would burst through the city gates and men and women would beg for their lives. And they would be able to take the land, the houses, and all the produce of the people as slaves. But something special happened when morning came. When morning came, the gates of the city burst open and hungry fighters emerged, wielding shields and swords. And they're running to the enemy, shouting, bring the battle, bring the battle. And as these men were shouting, the enemy was caught off guard, and they were afraid, and they realized that these hungry, pathetic people that they thought were in a city, afraid, were now running at them full force, realized that these men had everything to lose. And at that moment, the enemy was routed, and they realized and understood that complacency can kill a nation, but hungry fighters, as they emerge, cannot be defeated men with the will and intent that aren't afraid to lose their lives, who will fight until the last, cannot be defeated. And as we look back at this story, it's really amazing because every time I tell this story, I think of who I would be in the city. Would I be one of the men in the city that would meet at the city gates at dawn? Or would I be planning to see what I can negotiate, what I can barter with the enemy to just keep my certain level of comfort, to keep my freedom, what little bit I have left, to maybe save my own life. What would I be willing to give up? Or would I be one of the men of the city that stood at the city gates at dawn, waiting for those gates to open and emerging as a hungry fighter? Everybody watching online right now, I want you to go ahead and type in the chat, hungry fighter. Type in the chat, hungry fighter. Wherever you're at, if you're in the UK, if you're in Indonesia, if you're in Africa, Asia, wherever you're at, just go ahead and type in hungry fighter. So I have a question for you today. Are you a hungry fighter? You know, what we believe about ourselves changes our attitude. What we believe about ourselves can transform a weak and pathetic person into a hungry fighter that emerges through a gate. And I often believe when I tell this story that the men on one side of the gate, as soon as they passed the threshold of the city gates, they began to transform into hungry fighters because of what they now believed about themselves. You know, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army that has affected almost every country in the world, this is one of my favorite quotes. He says, we are not sent to minister to a congregation and be content if we keep things going. We are sent to make war and to stop short of nothing but the subjugation of the world to the sway of Jesus Christ. 
You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12, it talks about that, who the enemy is. It says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities and rulers of darkness and high places. You see, the battlefield that we're fighting today is the battlefield of the mind. It starts with our thoughts and what we believe about ourselves, about others, and about God. We have to make sure that our thoughts line up with our identity in Christ, who God is calling us to be. And that's why God cares so much about our thoughts, about what we believe and what we know. You know, I had a really good friend who would always say, everybody's a champ until they get in the ring. You know, a lot of people watching this message right now, you're probably saying, you know what, I'm okay. You know, I I love Jesus, I love God, and I try to do my best at doing what God calls me to do. And I think that I'm okay, I'm doing a good job, because I have grace. And have you ever been to a boxing match when the announcer comes out and they do the huge introduction? And let me tell you how your battle goes. So the announcer comes out and says, in my left corner, I have the enemy of God, Satan, the deceiver of Adam and Eve, who has over 6,000 years of experience deceiving man and defeating man, who has billions of victories in battle. To my left, I have a new believer who's known God. How, how long? One year? Okay, you've been following God one year. Let the fight begin. But there's good news. The good news is that God sent his son Jesus down to die for our sins, to become victorious over death and over the enemy. And guess what? Even though God has won that victory, but we still have our daily battles that we have to suit up and fight. And guess what? The enemy is counting on us to be unaware of the fight. Just like the city that was sitting there that left themselves unprotected, undefended, they were unaware of the fight to come. And the enemy is seeking to destroy you. He's trying to take away your provision. He's trying to destroy your family. He's trying to make your kids believe that your belief in God is an irrelevant, uh, an irrelevant way of life, that it doesn't matter. They see you, but they don't see the power of God working in your life. They don't see the Holy Spirit active. And that's how so many unbelievers are. They say, you're a Christian. You say these things, but I see that you have no power. So let's talk about that today. One of the things that are very important that I want to share with you today is that our thoughts matter, our thoughts count. And as we look through Scripture, I've kind of developed what I call the T-method, T-E-A-M, because our thoughts are so important. As we look through Scripture, Jesus talks about how our thoughts are important. Even becoming a Christian, we have to repent. We have to change our way of thinking. At the beginning of our walk with God, it, it starts with a change. You know, even when Jesus was with the disciples and he said, let me wash your feet, And Peter, uh, one of the disciples, got up and said, no, no, Jesus, you will never wash my feet. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And so we have to submit and surrender to God as Lord and Savior over our lives and our thoughts. This is important. So with the team method, it's really fun because you can look through scriptures and you can see that uh, this team method is at action and operating subconsciously in the life of so many people. So the T, the T stands for thoughts, our internal thinking. It's what happens inside of our heads. It's the talking inside of our heads that no one else knows about. 
It's those ingrained beliefs that we think even at a young age, a lot of psychologists say that at the age of nine, our worldview is already established, that we already believe a certain way. We already have a thought life. And like the dice example I gave you earlier of the, the person holding the die in a room, if I was in your living room right now and holding a die, that we would all have different perspectives. So we all already have a way of thinking. We have our own way of thinking. But the tension and the struggle is that our thoughts don't line up with the way God wants us to think. And that's the challenge. We have to have that peculiar way of thinking. You know, God says our thoughts, his thoughts are way above our thoughts. And we can't lean on our own understanding. And sometimes we get confused between what we think is good and what, what is God. We have the good versus God. And anything that is not of God is an affront to God. It's in opposition to God. And so with the T method, the T is t- talks about our thoughts, how we think. And we're going we're gonna to roll this out. I'm going to give you several examples of how this works. So we see how our thoughts impact our internal thinking. Next we go to E is our emotions, our feelings. And when we have a certain thought, it elicits an emotion of how we feel about ourselves. And how we feel translates into our actions, what we actually do, what other people see us do. Those are our actions. And M is our part, how we choose to manage it. Are we going to listen to what our morality says, what is good? Are we going to listen to what God says is good? And so, so many times in scriptures, I'm looking and I'm reading through, and I can just see the scenario play out, the T method, T-E-A-M. So one of the examples I like to look at is Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was actually Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. It's a very interesting story. So Saul is upset. He's thinking that these Christians, these followers of the way, are destroying the temple, destroying our traditions and our way of life. And so Saul becomes upset. He's furious. It even says on the way to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, Saul is breathing out angry threats. He's so upset at these Christians that he goes to the temple and he gets letters of authority to persecute the Christians publicly, to disgrace them, dishonor them, and jail them, and have them beaten in public. So you see the thought. Saul is thinking that these Christians, this way of life, that they're trying to downgrade the temple. They're in opposition to what God is doing. And so he's emotionally upset. He's feeling anger. He wants to destroy these people. So he takes action and gets letters from the synagogue to take captive these Christians, to persecute, to hump them out. And then in Saul's mind, he's thinking that I'm doing what God's will is, but in actuality, he's doing what his set of morality at the time, what is good to Saul. He's basing his uh, beliefs on his morality. So you see T-E-A-M, the thought, the emotion, the action, and then the management. But guess what? I have something else to present to you. It's that our thoughts can hold us captive as well. You know, one of the scriptures that I go to when I try to understand is that we have to have a filter. You know, when these thoughts come into our mind, we have to decide, like, is this from God or is this from the enemy? And one of the scriptures that will help you out with that filter is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. This is good. Watch this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, here's the key. 
bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So that's it right there. It's the filter. We take every thought and submit it to captivity to the obedience of Christ. And if we can do that, our thoughts will change, which changes our emotions, which changes our actions, and changes how we manage our lives. So you know when uh, Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, when he saw the bright light and he was thrown off his horse and he was blinded, Ananias came and laid hands on him on Straight Street. And guess what? Saul's thinking changed because when he interacted with Jesus and felt the power of the Holy Spirit, it immediately changed. Now, because of that experience that Saul had, who is now Paul, guess what? Everything changed. He was willing to risk his life every single day for the rest of his life to follow God because his thought changed. His thought process changed. And you see, when his thought changed, like, now I'm following Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the true God. And when he believed that, guess what? He was very impassioned about following God, doing whatever he could do. And by his actions, he wrote letters. He traveled all across the known world at that time to reach the lost. And then he decided to live his life by what God said to do, by the the leading and the yearning of the Holy Spirit in his life. We can go and look at the story of Gideon Gideon in the book of Judges, where Gideon has a a preset notion about who he is, his identity already. He says, in my clan, we have the worst family, and in my family, I'm the least able to do anything. He had low self-esteem. Does anybody have low self-esteem? Has anybody felt that they were not worthy enough, that they couldn't do something, that they couldn't follow God? That's Gideon to a T. So Gideon, he believed all these things about himself. So he felt worthless. He felt afraid. He was very fearful. And that caused Gideon, his action, to hide in a cave. Imagine, imagine living in a crevice of a rock because you're so afraid. You do your work at night because you're afraid of what the enemy will do to you in the daytime. Imagine that. Just think about that a moment. So many times in our life that we have things, these obstacles, these strong ways of thinking that are holding us back. If you just pause right now and close your eyes and focus, there is something that is holding you back right now, some obstacle, some challenge that is holding you back from reaching your full potential in Christ. What is it? Do you believe that you're not worthy? Are you confused about God's call on your life? See, these ways of thinking are put and deposited by the enemy to destroy the purpose that God has in your life. So you have to ask yourself, are you a hungry fighter? Are you going to emerge from the gates of the city and ready to fight the enemy? You know, one of the great things when I uh, look at the scriptures, we always talk about the armor of God. We talk about the, the helmet, the breastplate, all these things, but What's the only offensive weapon that we have in the armor of God? It's the sword of the Spirit, the sword of truth. It's the Word. How do we defeat the enemy? By God's Word. We don't have to go and fight the enemy because within the description of the armor of God, it talks about standing and continuing to stand firm. But instead, we use the sword of truth. So how do you defeat the enemy? You out-truth him. You apply God's Word and God's truth to those thoughts to have them line up with the Word of God. 
who God says you are, your identity in Christ. And that's who we line up with, with God, who God says we are, not who the enemy says we are. So we have to go back to the, the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 3 through 6. And then you look at the end of that scripture, it says, bringing every thought into the captivity and the obedience of Christ. Are you doing that? Are you taking every thought captive into the obedience of Christ? You know, I have to constantly ask myself that. I have to use that filter before something comes out of my mouth. I have to take every single thought and surrender it to God and say, is this, God, is this from you? Is this what I should be thinking? Is this what I should be dwelling on right now? Because if not, I can be a tool used by the enemy for destruction. And you see, one of the great things is when Gideon hears from the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord calls him a mighty man of valor. Isn't that amazing? So Gideon's looking at himself and hearing mighty man of valor, like, are you talking to me? Am I the person you're talking to? Because... I just told you I'm the weakest person in my family, and I'm a part of the weakest, weakest family in my clan, in my tribe. We're weak. I am not a mighty man, and I don't have valor. That does not describe who I am. But the only thing that matters is who God calls you to be, who God identifies you to be, your identity in Christ. So you have to address your thoughts and your thought life. You have to address the talking in your head to be able to understand and line back up with what God is saying about you. But the challenge is that we're too complacent. Somewhere in the, our, our journey of becoming a man, a woman, an adult, that we've kind of given ourselves a participation trophy, a little pass, just saying, hey, I'm okay. But when you're saying you're okay, you're saying that you don't need God. And that's a tool used by the enemy in your thought life to make you think that you don't need God, that you're okay. But guess what? We have to take every single thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If you're watching right now, I just want you to go in the chat and type obedience. And if you're not too afraid, type what obstacle is holding you back. What are you seeing in your own life? What type of thoughts are holding you back? Are you thinking that you're not worthy of God's love? Are you thinking that you're unlovable? What thought is holding you back from reaching God's purpose in your life? Because that thought is affecting your emotions, how you feel about yourself and others. It's affecting what you do, your actions, and it's affecting how you see yourself. Do you believe that you're good enough? Do you believe that you're godly? Who are you listening to? What's in your atmosphere? What are you letting in? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about yourself? These are all important questions to ask. Because this is a peculiar way of thinking. Kind of lines up with that series, doesn't it? One of my favorite scriptures is John 8, 32. 
says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So when you're lining up your thoughts with the perfect will of God, what does that do? It makes you free. Because what happens so many times in our life, even as early Christians, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, but we still have some baggage in our old life that's still kind of hanging on to us. And because of us looking back at that baggage, we have problems mentally accepting God's love for us, God's victory. Sometimes it's because we're complacent that we don't want to be motivated to do what God is calling us to do. Sometimes there's mental obstacles that are holding us back. So our thoughts are very important. We talked about how God is concerned about our thinking. But I'm so happy that in these battles that we fight every single day with the enemy, that I have the knowledge that I know that Jesus has already won the total victory. I may be battling here, but the victory has already been won. And guess what? When I can recognize the tactics of the enemy, so I don't care that he has 6,000 years of experience deceiving man, because I have the Holy Spirit in me. I have the power of God who has already defeated the enemy. So they, yes, I battle right now, and I'm in a ring, and it looks like he has way more experience than I do. But guess what? I don't have to fight the enemy. I just apply God's word to the thoughts that the enemy tries to deposit in my mind. What is God saying to you right now? What is God saying about that strong way of thinking that's preventing you from fulfilling your purpose? What is God saying about that obstacle in your life right now that's preventing you from being who God has called you to be? What is your identity in Christ? These are all very important questions. So I come back full circle. Have you thought about your thinking? What do you think about yourself? What do you think about others? What do you think about God's purpose in your life? Who is God to you? Is he just your provider? Is he just something that you can tune in online, but during the rest of the week, your life is lived very differently from being a child of God? These are important questions. We have to be real with ourselves. We have to be real. Have you thought about your thinking? I kind of want to go back to the William Booth quote that I quoted earlier today, is that you know, we're not sent to minister to a congregation and be content, to just keep things going, that we are sent to make war and to stop short of nothing but the subjugation of the world to the sway of Jesus Christ. And so right now, if you're watching this uh, broadcast right now, I want you to just type in the chat, I'm here, I'm listening. I am here, I'm listening. Because guess what? There are strongholds in your life that you have to let go. You have to let God take those things away from you. You can't hold on to those strong ways of thinking, those thoughts that do not come from God. So what you need to do is to replace those lies that you believe with God's truth. And you replace it with God's truth, so that God's truth is the Word of God. It's in your Bible. You place those negative ways of thinking with God's truth in your life. You may think that there's no way that you can do that, that, you know, your, your situation is too tough, it's too difficult. I'm going through too much persecution. 
Uh, maybe where I live, in my home or my workplace, it's too difficult to be who God is calling me to be. I can't do it. But you have to remember that no weapon formed against you will prosper. And in Christ, you're more than a conqueror. You know that God is sitting on his throne, and when he looks at your situation, he doesn't stand up and get worried and walk around saying, what am I going to do? You know, our God is a good shepherd. He prods us. He fills us with his Holy Spirit that we would have guidance, that the Holy Spirit would pray and intercede for us for the things that we need that even we don't even know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit can empower us to do God's will on this earth. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Has God empowered you to do his work and his will? And if he has, you can trust in that. Trust that God is a good shepherd. So what are your takeaways from today? A couple quick takeaways. One is that God cares about your thinking. Jesus cares about your thoughts. They're really important because your thoughts will direct your life. They will direct how you feel about yourself, the actions that you take, and how you judge Your second takeaway is that we're engaged in the battle, just like the men in the city, that the enemy is attacking. There is death all around us, whether we realize it or not. So some people, they don't even know that they're engaged in battle, and that's why they're losing. But the good news is that God has already won the total victory. It can't change, but we are engaged in that battle, and we have to be prepared for the battle. You know, when the men won that victory in a story, the Hungry Fighter story, guess what they did? They went back into the city, and they rebuilt their defenses. They set up watchtowers and enlisted a standing army, and they built a memorial to remember the victory that God gave them that day and to not fall back into complacency, into things just being okay, that they understood the power of their thought life. Think about the men that emerged from that city gate how they went through that transformation. They had to give up their thoughts and their beliefs about their situation, and they had to take on the thoughts and the beliefs that, hey, we could probably win this thing. And they opened the gates, and guess what? They were hurting. They had people that had died. Wives, children, parents, friends, neighbors. They were starving. They were hungry. But no matter what their condition was, they chose to fight. Remember, God has already won the victory, so the fight is not over until you win. Amen? And let Jesus wash you. It's not something that you can do yourself. You have to pray to God and dive into his word to replace those lies and to have God uncover those lies that you believe. Because some of these lies are operating subconsciously for so many years, and you think that's just the way things are. But let me tell you, I have an awesome guarantee that God will never give up on you. There's nothing that you can do once you receive Christ that will separate you from the love of God. See, God's in your corner. So it doesn't matter how many years of experience the enemy has, God has more. And God is so ready and willing to help you change those lives that you believe. Because guess what? He wants you to have an awesome time in heaven. But here on earth, in the battle, 
He wants you to have an abundant life as well. Because he has specifically positioned you in your families, in your communities, in your workplaces, in your churches to be his representative, to speak on his behalf, to follow the promptings and the leading of the Holy Spirit. But you have to be aware of the battle that's happening right now. And you have to know that the battle is already won because the war is over. But the enemy's last tool is to make you believe that you're okay, that your thoughts don't have to line up with God's thoughts. And that's just not the truth. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, so much for the people that have tuned in all over the world to this broadcast. Thank you, Father God, for the people that lives will be changed, people will be affected. The way that they see themselves will change. They'll be able to see themselves in God's perspective and God's point of view and identify themselves with Christ. No matter what their past is, the mistakes that they've made, Father God, that you have called them to be a new creature, to renew their mind so they may be approved, Father God, and exhibit the perfect will of God. Thank you so much that people are sharing this message all over the world today, Father God. People will experience life change. We just declare that people will be able to replace the enemy's lies with God's truth, that they will no longer be in the background and be hurt because of the lies that they believe, that they're unworthy, that they're not good enough, that they can never do it, they can never fulfill the purpose that God has for them because you have empowered us with your Holy Spirit to do the impossible so they can live the supernatural with our peculiar way of thinking. So as people have hands lifted, people weeping, people crying out to you, God, that you are a good God, that you're answering their prayer, that you're being with them, that you're guiding them, that you're revealing to them the lies that they believe that are holding them back from God's best to give them that peace, that freedom that they need in their life. So God, we thank you. We lift your name up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 